Hey, happy Ash Wednesday. Pastor Wolfmuller here with What Not the Podcast, the Lent Up Early edition. I don't know if I can make it through Lent, but hey, I got up early the first day. We'll see how it goes. Here's a meditation on Psalm 51. And what is repentance? The two parts of repentance. And then a question about uh, if someone who struggles with homosexuality, can they serve in the church? There's a Sixth Commandment segment, so warning for the warning for the youngest whatnotters. That might not be uh, the best one today, but you can at least listen to the first part on Psalm 51. Uh, hopefully you enjoy. Send your questions to, to me at wolfmuller.co slash contact, and we'll, uh, we'll try to take them up on the podcast as well. Enjoy the show. Here's a little reflection on Psalm 51, King David's great psalm of repentance. After, oh boy, he broke about every commandment, including the sixth commandment with Bathsheba, the fifth commandment with Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, uh, all this murderous, ridiculous plotting to get his own way. Uh, And David has a hard heart. He doesn't even realize what he's done until Nathan the prophet comes to him and very carefully uh, exposes David's heart, uh, sensitizes his conscience to the sin he's committed by telling this parable of the man and who steals his neighbor's sheep. He's got a huge flock and he goes and he takes his neighbor's one sheep. And David is so enraged at the injustice of this. He, he says, but bring that man. I'm going to put him to death. And, and Nathan says, you are the man. And the Holy Spirit through the law crushes David and he cries out the Psalm 51. Uh, this, this beautiful, great, ter- terrible, really, in the old way, the uh, Psalm of repentance. And in the middle of that Psalm, there's this shocking line where King David says to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, we're looking at that and we're like, David, wait a minute. You sinned against everybody. You sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. You sinned against the armies, uh, uh, all the soldiers. You you sinned against all the people. You sinned against your other wives and children. You, You sinned against everybody. But David knows that his sin is ultimately, and every sin is ultimately, a sin against God. Now we'll remember, and this is helpful when thinking about repentance, that repentance has two parts, contrition and faith. Contrition is that sorrow over our own sin that's worked in us by the Holy Spirit through the law of God. And faith is that trust in the promise of the gospel that's worked in us by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, th- this is this is what happens when law and gospel gets to us, contrition and faith. And here we can make this distinction when it comes to contrition between a troubled conscience and a terrified conscience. Uh, this is not a technical distinction, but I think it's helpful for me at least to kind of sort out the difference. Because a lot of people know that they've made mistakes. Though To err is human. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You hear stuff like that thrown around all the time. We we know that's the case. So a lot of people have a troubled conscience in the sense that they know that they haven't done everything they should have. They know that they've that they've done wrong things. They know that they've made mistakes. Everybody knows that. The problem is 
But they do not yet, or we do not yet, realize that those mistakes and those sins are offensive to God, that they offend His holiness, that they are deserving of His wrath, that they provoke His anger. And that's a terrified conscience. So a troubled conscience knows it's made mistakes, but a terrified conscience knows that those mistakes are offensive to God and deserving of both temporal and eternal punishment. A terrified conscience cries out, against you and you only have I sinned. I mean, it knows that it's sinned against everyone else, but this is the thing that really matters. It's the, it, what does my sin do to God? What is my, how does my sin place me before Almighty God? Against you and you only have I sinned. And when we have a terrified conscience, if we have a troubled conscience, we think, well, I've made mistakes, but I can make up for it. But when we have a terrified conscience, we know that our only hope is the Lord's mercy, that our only refuge is the Lord's kindness, that we can't do anything to fix it ourselves, that it is up to the Lord to take care of this problem. So Psalm 51 teaches us these two parts of repentance, contrition and faith. Uh, It teaches us a terrified conscience and then a comforted conscience because the Lord does restore to us uh, his spirit. He does take away our sin. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. That's us. That's, God be praised, that's you. Here's a good and important question, but a sixth commandment question that has to do with marriage and chastity. So the following segment is not going to be appropriate for the youngest of the whatnot listeners. Um, so if, uh, if that's you, thanks for listening today. We'll catch you soon. Here's a question. Uh, can someone who struggles with the sin of homosexuality serve in the church? There's some more details in this question about, and we're thinking here not about being pastor, but about um, uh, leading music or teaching, things like that. Um, that's a good and important question. Uh, the, the problem that we have mostly when we start thinking about this question and questions like this is there's a cliche that just rolls around the church that says that every sin is equal in the sight of God. And that might be true in a limited sense that James says, for example, if you've broken one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. So that one sin is every sin, and to be a sinner is to be guilty and deserving of God's wrath. That's true. Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount that if you've looked with lust, you've committed adultery. If you've had, if you have anger in your heart, you've murdered. So that the slightest breaking of the commandment is still a breaking of the commandment. But Jesus does not tell that pair that um, give that analogy or give that doctrine. So that we'd say, well, I'm angry with you, so might as well murder you. There's no difference. Or I feel lust in my heart, so I might as well commit adultery. So there's no difference. No, that is not the point of that teaching. Jesus is, he is breaking down the pharisaical understanding that the external keeping of the law is the keeping of the law. And Jesus says, no, I I have claim on everything. Not only your, your actions, but your words and your thoughts and even your desires. You see, our 
our sinful nature is so corrupt that original sin first manifests itself in the fact that we want the wrong things. It's what the old uh, theologians called concupiscence. So that even our wants and desires are, are wrong and twisted, and that shows up in, in uh, sinful uh, actions, sinful words, sinful thoughts, and so forth and so on. So every sin equally condemns, but not every sin is, is equal, especially not for us. I would much rather you be angry with me than put an ice pick in my back. And we recognize then that different sins have different consequences. And Paul hones in on this. It's a very interesting, important verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, where Paul's talking about sexual immorality. And he says, every other sin a man commits outside the body, but sexual immorality he commits inside the body. Now, I don't understand the full weight of this text. I think there's probably a lot more there, but at least we can say that sexual immorality is such a kind of sin that it twists up the conscience. It has internal effects. It does, it does a different kind of damage to us than other sins, other breaking other commandments. And, and we see that in practice. Uh, now, as we are here at the end of the sexual revolution, we see the damage that sexual immorality does to people. It's really, it's really quite profound. Now, what about homosexuality? A couple things there. Uh, the first is to think of homosexuality and repentance in this way. I, I'll tell you a story. There was a person, I don't want to even tell you if it was a, um, a man or a woman who came to me and said, Pastor, uh, I'm gay. Can I come to communion? I said, well, let's talk about it. If that's all right, a little bit, sure. And, and I said, do you know that this is a sin, breaking the sixth commandment? And this person said, yes, I know that. And I said, then, are you sorry for your sin? And this person said, yes, extremely. I need the Lord's forgiveness and mercy. And I said, are you committed to live a life of chastity, to pursue sexual purity and to avoid sin, including this sin of homosexuality, thoughts, behaviors, etc. And this person said, yes. And my response to this individual was, not only can you come to the Lord's Supper, but you got to come to the Lord's Supper for strength to fight against the temptation and against the trouble. So it's not the, it's not the sin that bars us from the supper and from the kindness of God. It's a matter of repentance. That's what we're after, repentance. And that's the key thing. But there's something else. Because when we, in one of our, one of the marks of our sanctification and our maturity in Christ is that we recognize the particular uh, leaning of our own sinful flesh. We start to recognize the uniqueness of our own concupiscence. And we, sh we start to see the, the sinful things that our sinful flesh wants, that it's not authorized to have. And if it becomes clear to us that, that this is the temptation that we have, homosexuality, we know that that temptation requires a special stewardship. And what do I mean? 
It's one thing to want the wrong thing. That's concupiscence, sin. But it is another thing to want the wrong kind of thing. And so if a man has lust for a woman, that is breaking the sixth commandment. It's what Jesus is talking about. That's lust. But if man, if a man has lust for another man, that's wanting, it's wanting the wrong thing, but it's wanting the wrong kind of thing. Uh, the man's body was built for to have a wife, and the wife's body was built to have a husband. So if a woman, on the other hand, finds herself wanting, lusting after another woman, it's not just wanting the wrong thing, it's wanting the wrong kind of thing. And that requires a, a special stewardship of the Christian. It, it probably comes like this, that, that my own temptation and my own inclinations are skew from God's design and that makes my concupiscence particularly dangerous uh, because uh, homosexual lust, if it shows up in homosexual activity, is uh, a dangerous kind of activity. And it's not just homosexuality, but, but any time someone realizes that they, their desire is for the wrong kind of things, it could be sexually for, the, for anything skew other than man and, and woman. Um, th then you realize that your desire for the wrong kind of things is a particular danger. And, and that temptation opens you up to doing uh, more dangerous things. So that part of our stewardship is to make sure that our own sins and our own inclinations don't harm uh, people around us. Now, that's a long way of getting back to this question of can someone who struggles with the sin of homosexuality serve in the church? If, if there's a person who struggles with homosexual temptation, they're going to be fighting, number one, to not be defined by that temptation, to not be defined and, and find their identity in that temptation. But they're also going to recognize that, that, that they have to bear that particular temptation means that the the sins that they're tempted to are uh, particularly damaging. And they're going to want to make sure that they avoid any sort of circumstance or situation where they could do damage to someone else. That doesn't mean that they can't serve in the church, but it does mean that they want to have uh, a lot of particularly um, pointed conversations with their pastor about the the ways that they're addressing their own temptations to make sure that uh, they're not doing damage either to themselves or to the people around them. In other words, is this thing under control? It, has the lust captured me and carried me away? Or am I able to, to crucify the flesh in such a way that, that this doesn't show up and do damage to the people around me? And that conversation that careful consideration with the pastor, uh, I think has a lot to do with the answer to that, to that particular question. So I hope that's helpful. And it's not just, again, for those who struggle with the sin of homosexuality, but probably for all of us to realize that the, the, the certain, di the direction of our own sinful flesh, the, the sort of the angle and vector of our own lusts is something that we have to um, uh, steward in this fallen life until the Lord rescues us from all of these uh, in the resurrection.
Thanks for the question. Great question. Thanks for listening. What not the podcast. Uh, it's Ash Wednesday today, so don't forget to go to church this afternoon or evening. Um, hey, if you're not, if you're, if you're like a, one of these Lutheran interested folks, but you're not Lutheran yet, Ash Wednesday and Lent midweek services are a great time to go and visit the Lutheran, your local Lutheran church. Check it out. See what's going on over there. They'll be putting ashes and forgiving sins and talking about repentance. It'll be great. What is going on over here? It's crazy. So, uh, so anyway, that's really, um, uh, that's really wonderful. Also, Whatnot is not just a podcast. It's also an e-newsletter. You can sign up for that, wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday. Try to give away a book every month to someone who's subscribed. Uh, it's totally free to subscribe. You can also pay to subscribe if you want. That just helps out the cause. You can also do that at the support button on the website somewhere. You can find that there. That's great. I think we have like eight spots in our Germany trip this summer. If you want to come to Germany with us, visit all these Luther spots, Frankfurt to Berlin. We'll go up to Wartburg Castle. We'll go to the Bach Festival. That'll be great. Uh, you can find info about that trip at the website, wolfmuther.co travel button. Uh, come with us there. Otherwise, hope you have a wonderful, marvel. I don't know what the wonderful Ash Wednesday, blessed Ash Wednesday. I don't know. I don't think you're supposed to say have a happy Ash Wednesday, but I do hope that you have a happy Ash Wednesday. We'll talk to you soon. God's peace be with you.